of the things I forgot, but all of you who read the bulletin already know, this is Steve. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks, well, it's a thrill to uh, finally be here, Cindy and I. Moved in this weekend, got an apartment over here in Cottonwood Heights, came down from Teton Valley, and thanks for the snow, it's just, it's just like the Tetons. And uh, so, so good to be with you and to begin to see your faces and get to know you. Thanks to Pastor Al for the good transition. Um, I know you had some great leadership there over the last few months and look forward to hopefully tagging on to that. Some of you know that I come out of the, the Navy, I was a Navy chaplain, and we do this thing called a change of command ceremony. You know, when COs depart and a new one comes and the chaplain prays and it's all about that smooth transition of leadership, and I appreciate Al's willingness to uh, allow me to be a part of the service today. And uh, so we got a lot in front of us, but God is good. God will be with us as we go forward. I'd like to read the scripture this morning from Luke chapter 9. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him, went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said, He had it all printed out for me. Peter says to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. This is the word of the Lord. Conspiracy theories are not new. It seems that many people at the time of Jesus thought that Moses had never really died. They considered the many times that Moses encountered God on mountaintops. In his encounter with God in the burning bush, God sent Moses to save his people in Egypt. 
after Moses led the exodus of the people from slavery toward the freedom of the promised land, Moses received the Ten Commandments, the law of God, at the same mountaintop. After the exodus, God took Moses up to a mountaintop to show him the promised land. There, Moses died with only one witness, God. It was God who buried him. After 30 days of searching, the people of Israel could not find his grave. Other than this very briefest of accounts in Deuteronomy, God has refused to comment publicly, much less refute the rumor that Moses might still have been alive when he was taken up into heaven. It seems that God's action of taking Elijah directly up into heaven increases the likelihood of this conspiracy theory. Elijah was a great prophet, perhaps the greatest of all prophets. Elijah feared that he would be the last prophet of God. He was hiding in a cave on the side of a mountain when he again encountered God and was sent back to the people, freshly supported in his continuing mission and continuing ministry as a prophet. Later, as Elijah and Elisha were walking and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. The return of a living Elijah was to be a sign that the end of times had arrived. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. The symmetry of both Moses and Elijah being alive is just so logical. And now we have Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus on a mountaintop. While conspiracy theories can be entertaining, and while they might have some small shred of logic or support, there are perhaps two major problems with them. The first is they neither require proof nor are they easy to disprove. By misreading a statement or creating a new one or adding something new in order to explain mysteries, they do seem plausible. In typical fashion, such stories end with a cryptid statement that so-and-so was contacted and refused to comment on this theory, as if their refusal to comment confirmed the story. The second problem is that such theories take us far away from what is important. In this case, it takes us far away from what God has told us is important. Yes, it might explain what the scriptures 
does not explain how Moses and Elijah both appeared to be alive as they talked to Jesus. But I, I still believe, Deuteronomy, that Moses died, and I gladly accept the power of God to do the miraculous. The mystery does remain of how Peter and company recognized Moses and Elijah on the mountaintop, but that also is not what is important. So what is important? Luke introduces critically important passages in his book with the phrase, while Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying before his baptism when God confirmed to Jesus who he was. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Again, while Jesus was praying, God appeared and spoke, this time speaking to us, saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. God is identifying who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of God, the chosen one of God. The presence of Moses and Elijah leads us to believe that Jesus is the fulfillment, the fulfillment of the law and the exodus represented by Moses, the fulfillment of prophecy and the end of times represented by Elijah. Yet this is not a meeting of peers, however great Moses and Elijah might be. Peter blurted out that he would build three tents for them, places of shelter as if they were all the same. It is almost as a rebuke that God had to state, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. The fulfillment of scripture has not yet happened in that the three of them were speaking of his departure, which Jesus was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah had had unusual departures, a foretaste of the even more incredible departure to come of Jesus. The term they use, departure, literally means exodus. They were discussing more than the death of Jesus. This was a new, even greater exodus marked by the death and resurrection and return to heaven of Jesus. Moses led his people from slavery in the kingdom of Egypt towards the promised land. Jesus would lead us from the kingdom of man to the kingdom of God. We do not need to pass through the waters of the Red Sea on our exodus. Jesus has made the exodus from this world to the kingdom of God for us. Truly, this marks that coming the great and dreadful day of the Lord 
great in the salvation that it provides to us, dreadful in the price that Jesus paid on our behalf. This was a fleeting encounter, as many mountaintop experiences are. It seems that Peter wanted to prolong it, bask in the glory of God, perhaps hear, hear even more of God's voice. Perhaps Peter was thinking of tents in the sense of the tabernacle, God's dwelling place as Israel spent the 40 years traveling through the wilderness. But it was not to be. A tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, would not be proper for either Moses or Elijah. Much more important is that God was alive, dwelling among his people as Jesus, and Jesus was not to be constrained by dwelling in a tent on the mountaintop apart from the very people he came to save. Peter, in many ways, expresses our human longing to honor those persons who are important to us. We also desire to preserve in some way our glimpses of divine transcendence. Transcendence comes from the verb to climb. It has the meaning of climbing so high that you cross some type of boundary. A transcendent, transcendent experience is one that takes you out of yourself and convinces you of a larger life or existence. Peter wanted to hold on to his divine transcendent experience, this witnessing of God's presence, the foretaste of the redemptive work of Christ to be accomplished in Jerusalem. But Jesus would not, could not accomplish his exodus on a remote mountaintop. Thus begins the relentless, steady journey. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. There was much more to be done before his departure. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. The road to Jerusalem did not leap from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. The way returned to the valley, the valley that was full of crowds, the sick and possessed, the bickering disciples wondering who of them would be given the seat of honor next to Jesus in heaven, the valley that was full of betrayal, denial, persecution, condemnation, but also the way that led to the resurrection, the victory over death itself, the arrival of the kingdom of God. 
we do not need to go somewhere up onto a mountain to discover God. God has revealed himself to us throughout his story, the Bible. God, Jesus, came and dwelled with us. God continues to come to us down in the valley as the Holy Spirit convicts us that Christ is alive. These verses were all about God, about who Jesus is, and they invite us to follow Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Yet we do have a role in this story. Peter represents us well. In Luke chapter 9, verse 20, Jesus asked Peter, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. In his great statement of faith, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. On the mountaintop, Peter struggles to fully understand the expanse of his own confession. Living our Christian faith requires greater depth and breadth than in our spiritual formation, more than we can ever gain on one or any multiple mountaintop experiences. It is as we put our faith into action in word and in deed, ministering to those who surround us, surround us in the valleys of life, that we fully understand our own confession that Jesus is the Messiah. It is perhaps easy to become depressed over Peter and his disciples or our own lack of understanding, but rejoice. Jesus did not leave them behind, and they did remain with Jesus. They continued to be taught and shaped by Jesus. Eventually, they became one with Jesus and one with the mission of Jesus in the world. And so do we. We experience transformation when we hear God saying, this is my son. Listen to him. The Transfiguration Lutheran Church in the South Bronx was struggling. It stood amid poverty and all the problems that poverty produces. Crime, drug abuse, lack of education and opportunity, lack of of hope. The church mostly kept its doors shut tight, gathering together for those moments of worship, those precious and all too often fleeting experiences of the divine presence of God. A new pastor, Heidi Newmark, states, when the disciples of this Bronx church unlocked the doors of their private shelter and stepped out into the neighborhood, 
they did meet the distress of the community convulsed and mauled by poverty. But they also discovered transfiguration as a congregation in connection with others. The next day, Jesus returned to the crowds, convulsed and mauled by demons and disease, by lack of faith and comprehension. As Jesus continued to lead his disciples to Jerusalem and beyond to the resurrection, he also leads us. May we be transformed, even transfigured, by our divine and transcendent encounters of the living Christ as we serve in his name, as we spend our next day and the days that follow ministering down in the valley in the name of Christ. Amen.